if you were to ask me what's on my bookshelf right now, you know, what, what I'm reading or what my favorite, let's say top five favorite business books of all time are, um, every time someone asks me, this one book is always in the list. And it's, it's not a book that you would expect. It's not a book that, that's out there in the huge, you know, top business book list. It might be a book that you've never heard of from an author you, author you possibly have never heard of. But it's one of the books that has helped make the biggest impact on me. And I'll tell you guys why here in a little bit. But that book is called The Pumpkin Plan. And The Pumpkin Plan, it's by an author called uh, named Mike McAllowitz. And I'm fortunate enough to have Mike on this episode of The Carrot Cast. So we're actually going to be talking um, directly with Mike, the author of The Pumpkin Plan. He also authored Profit First. And his latest book is called The Surge. And Mike's two books, Profit First and The Pumpkin Plan, made massive impact on my business. And I don't want to discount this, guys and gals. I'm not saying this because I had Mike on here. I invited Mike on here because I was racking my brain going, man, who are the people that I look up to and the people that have made massive differences in my life and my business? I'm going to work my butt off and getting them on the Caracast so you high-achieving investors out there can learn from them and implement the same things in your business. So if you want to go from six figures to seven figures a year, I want the Caracast to help you do that. If you want to go from you know, not having the motivation or confidence to go out on your own to going out there and crushing it and, and creating a full-time income and a full-time business out of real estate or whatever it is you want to do. We want to help you do that in the Caracast. And this episode with Mike McCallowitz is going to help you do that. Whether you're a newer investor or entrepreneur or whether you're already doing 10 million bucks a year, this is going to help you do it better with less stress, with less work and the whole thing. And the big difference that, that, that I had with reading Mike's books and learning from Mike, especially the pumpkin plan, um, was we all get in this trap of whenever we have a little bit of success, you start to think you can do everything successfully, right? Opportunity pops up everywhere. Um, you talk to a friend or a colleague and, and you have come up with an amazing idea for this other product or you see this part working in real estate, you know, this one type of marketing work. And before you master that, you go on and go, man, I can do these six other things. Let me put a bunch of money in doing these six other things also. And what ends up happening, what's, what's happened more often than not to me, is before you master that one thing and make it so it can run by itself, which we talk about with Mike on this episode of the Carrot Cast, um, you go out there and start other things and it really spreads you too thin. And just like the pumpkin plan book, the analogy goes, um, the way that the, the record breaking, you know, uh, uh, pumpkin farmers grow their pumpkins, those ginormous pumpkins is they find great, great, great seed. You can't just take any pumpkin seed and grow a giant pumpkin. It's gotta be, you gotta be starting with the right seed. You plant that seed, you heart, you, you cultivate that seed, you water that seed, you water, 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 take care of it until you start to see it sprout. The equivalent with that in business is you plant that seed of an idea, you get it going, you start marketing the heck out of it, you start spreading your word out there, you spread the message and get, get people talking about it and get the action going. Okay, once it sprouts, you've got something going now and something's growing, money's coming and opportunity's coming and you keep on seeing more opportunity and that pumpkin plant is going to keep on sprouting new shoots off the plant. It's going to have a little stock going off here, a little pumpkin growing on it, some leaves, another stock going off over here, another pumpkin growing on it. And when you think about it, a pumpkin plant might have two, four, five, ten pumpkins on it, a bunch of leaves on it. But it all starts with this one stock, this one root system that goes into the ground. So the nutrients, the water, the, the, the nutrients that are coming through that one stock have to get spread out between those five or six pumps and pumpkins on the vine, between all the leaves, between all that stuff. 
Okay, so if you can imagine, what would happen if you took all of that energy that the water, the sun, the nutrients are giving that, that pumpkin plant stock and funnel it all into one pumpkin, the pumpkin with the biggest promise, the biggest opportunity. How massive could you make that pumpkin and how much work would you be cutting off of your lap each and every day? Okay, that's what we're talking about here on this podcast. And really, how do you build a business where you're focusing on fewer things, but you do those fewer things better and bigger. You earn a lot more revenue and a lot more profit. You're happier. You're less stressed. You work with just amazing clients and you ditch the ones who are pain in the butt. Okay. And you really run the business on purpose. You run the business. So it's something that you're crazy passionate about that serves you and your clients and your team in a big way that doesn't leave you guys always serving the business. Okay. We're going to talk on this podcast, guys and gals, how to help you get more freedom from your business, how to help you get more profit from your business and how to profit first. And then also how do you, what, what quarterly routine do you go through to make sure that you're continually trimming off the distractions and focusing on the big pumpkins. All right. I highly suggest you guys buy the book, the pumpkin plan, or just go online. You can find the first chapter of the pumpkin plan. If you type in the pumpkin plan PDF, you can find the first chapter. All right. But I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy this, this episode of the Caracast with Mike McCallowitz. Before we turn it over to Mike, if you guys are interested in growing your business, leveraging the web, we have an amazing free resource for you that you guys can get for free right now within the next 10 seconds. All you have to do is text the word carrot to 38470. So text the word carrot to 38470. That's 38470. And what we're going to do is we're going to email you um, this amazing resource on inbound marketing. We're going to email you a, an action plan guide, some videos on how do you get your website in front of your ideal prospects better and more easily with a very strategic plan, leveraging the web. We're going to walk you through it step by step. It's the same thing that our customers are, are implementing, that we implement ourselves to generate tens of thousands of leads per month. And you're going to get that all for free. You just have to text the word carrot to 38470. We'll text you back and say, hey, what's your email address so we can send this to? We'll send you the resource for free, nothing for sale at all. So without further ado, guys and gals, I want to bring in Mike Michalowicz into this podcast. And please, 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 if you love this episode, share it on Facebook, share it on social media, and head over to iTunes and give us a rating. The ratings and reviews keep us pumped. They keep us excited about doing the Carrot Cast and to know that we're doing things right. And I think everyone listening to this Carrot Cast loves loves to know, you know, when you do something great, you love the pat on the back, right? You want that validation and we would love that too, guys and guys. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. And we want to make this carrot cast the most valuable 60 minutes of your Tuesday mornings every single week. Here we go, Mike. Let's dive in. You guys, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to the, to the, uh, the podcast version, um, just go like Google Mike and then pumpkin plan or something. Um, he's, he's got an amazingly, um, intricate last name, which, is awesome. <laughs> but the cool thing is you start to Google anything around that looks like it, you're going to find you. Um, yeah. but you guys heard the intro to this podcast a second ago, but I want to kind of say a couple things before I really bring Mike into this call. And one of the things I'm crazy passionate about uh, in business as an entrepreneur with our entrepreneur co-workspace we have here with Carrot, with all the, the young entrepreneur stuff we have going, is I'm really passionate about making sure that when you build a business, you build it with intention and you build a business with intention so it, it can really serve you so you're not always serving that business, so you're not a slave to your business. And going back, shoot, I think this is three or four years ago now, 
I first read uh, Mike's book, The Pumpkin Plan, and I've since referred it and bought it for literally hundreds of people since then. And it's the simplest concept, but mm -hmm. it has meant the, the most to me, I, I would say, out of any particular thing the past three to four years um, in, in quarterly implementing the things from the pumpkin plan, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Uh, but he followed it up with another book called Profit First, which um, same thing. I think a lot of us come at business with the mindset of have, having the work that we serve the business, we'll make our money when we sell it. Uh, and reading Profit First helped me shift my mindset there. It's like, how can we set up that company? So it really serves us as we're building it. So we're really making it so we're not scraping by in years one, two, three with the hopes of selling something later. So I wanted to get Mike on to really unpack some of those ideas, talk about what he's doing now, and also just kind of talk through how entrepreneurs, whether you are a real estate investor or a software company owner or whatever it is, any type of business, uh, how you can get more out of your business, how you can also build more purpose in your business, but how do you really build that business that's going to be sustainable and amazing for you to grow? And uh, that's why we're here. So Mike, welcome onto the Carrot Cast, man. I'm crazy excited to have you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back, Trevor. I mean, two years ago, we were just talking off air. It's been two years, so it's uh, yeah. it's good to be doing this with you. And congratulations on the success of your show. Thanks, man. No, it, it, it's exciting because we've, we've done a lot of video stuff in the past, and this is going to be a video, and we'll split out the audio and do all kinds of cool stuff to it. But we've done a lot of video, and then people just kept on saying, hey, man, when are you going to do a podcast? And I kept <laughs> yeah. on putting it off. I'm like, ah, oh, the podcast wave, man, it's behind us. You know, I lost yeah. the wave. And then I looked at myself, and I'm going, damn, I'm listening to like 10 podcasts a week still. So I'm listening yeah. to them more than ever. So we started and it's fun as heck. Um, so, dude, giving people a little bit of background on you, um, why don't you just kind of briefly go through uh, you know, where you came from? I know they can find yeah. out most of that in the Pumpkin Plan book or Profit First that's in your books. But um, what's the Cliff Notes version? Who the heck are you? And <laughs> yeah, what, exactly. What, what led you to what you're doing now? Yeah, and I actually do include a lot of my personal stories <laughs> in the book. Because uh, I think I'm a full-time author today, but I think many authors uh, speak from uh, theory and from investigating businesses and studying it and then compile it. Um, I, and that's a great approach, by the way. I, I do the same thing. But also I have experience as an entrepreneur. So prior to being an author, uh, I built companies. And as I write my books, I actually have launched companies to test the theories I'm writing about to validate that they effectively, effectively work. Um, so my background is uh, an entrepreneur my entire life, ever since college. I've had the good fortune of selling two companies uh they both were multi-million but not huge like you know one was a two and a half when i sold the other was seven and uh or on a run for seven we didn't even achieve it for that year yet and we were acquired by a fortune 500 uh, called robert half international cool. uh and then I, i've been an angel investor i've done other stuff but i, I think the real interesting part of, of my story I think that applies to a lot of entrepreneurs is not that that's kind of my cv uh that i gave you the the highlights uh, but i really believe a cv really stands for covers vomit uh, because below that is the real disgustingness and puke that goes on in business. So I've also, after selling my second company, was so full of myself and thought I was the God's gift to entrepreneurship. I blew money uh, on cars and expensive house and joined the club and, and just stupid things and tried to become an angel investor that I subsequently sucked at. I, was the, I think the worst angel investor of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've gone through depression. Uh, fun was called functional depression. Um, so a more mild version of it, but felt how immobilizing that it was. And, um, 
from all those experiences, I started. I decided one day it was my equivalent of the rock bottom. I, you know, I'm just I'm failing everywhere. Why don't I pick something new that I've always dreamed about? And that was to become an author, oh. uh, and in part to right my own wrongs. Uh, when I write my books. I write about things that didn't work for me and investigate how they did work and then test them out. And if they do work, that becomes a book concept. So I'm working on one actually right now too, I love a new it. one. Dude, I'm going to start this kind of with a heavy topic because you brought it up. So I've, I've honestly never, I've honestly never really talked about this myself except for maybe with my wife and my you know close entrepreneur friends here in our entrepreneur co-workspace. Yeah. Um, and you talk about functional depression. And mm. I remember growing up, uh, you know, my, my, my parents are entrepreneurs. I've been an athlete all my life. And I'm like, God, son, I, depression's a choice. You know, it's just, it's not real. It's not even, it's how do you, how do people get depressed? Like I, I really didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I became an entrepreneur and you know, for several years, you're kind of in that phase where you're just learning so much and you're, 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 at least my back was against the wall and I didn't have any money anyway. So like, there's nothing to, to lose. There was only, yeah. you know, there was only places to go up and right. it's the weirdest thing, dude. And I want to ask you this question is the, the, the times that I have sank into, I guess it would be clinically called a functional depression. It's when I'm doing the best. It's weird. Like, oh. was it, was it that way for you too? Or was it? No. No. So for me, I remember the trigger. Uh, so after I sold my second company, uh, and started spending ridiculous amounts of money because, hey, man, I know how to make money flow. I know how to make it rain. Um, I lost it all and had to tell my family. So at that point, I had been lying by omission. Yeah. And it, it was stress. Like, I, I was constantly stressed. Like, I got to find my way out of this disaster. The more money I was spending, uh, the faster I was collapsing. And I spent even more to buy my way out. Mm -hmm. And that was stress. But the day I told my family, I remember just sobbing in front of my wife and children saying, "It's everything's gone. Like, I, like our accountant's saying declare bankruptcy, which my ego is still too big. To, I've never done that. I didn't do that. But that was the point. I just felt like I'm done. And the, the, I remember the visual it still gives me chills of a brick wall, like a huge, massive one, kind of like a, a 20 story building leaning on me and I'm pushing as hard as I can to get up. And the harder I push, the faster it's collapsing on me. And that was the visual of it, how it manifested. Um, I'm really not a drinker. I do like to talk about drinking and push it on other people. So if there's a party, I'm like, Hey dude, why don't you have a margarita? <laughs> like that's my entertainment. Yeah. But listen, and I love a good beer uh, during a football game. No question about it. But, you know, like I don't like to fire down beers every single night. That's just not me. I am. I started drinking a lot. I was firing down lots of beers every night. Uh, insomniac. I couldn't sleep. I remember watching TV at 3 or 4 in the morning, every morning. Um, and the biggest thing is I removed myself from the community around me. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to talk to friends. I didn't want to talk with anyone. I just wanted to get out of this as this wall was collapsing on me. Um, but truly, and I think you mentioned the word purpose, having purpose in my life, once I define what's my purpose here, that was that's what truly alleviated that stage of my life. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's so interesting because, like I said, for me, um, it, it, it's weird. It's I, I think I had sank into those spots when I was doing the best financially. But yeah. looking back, it wasn't the best – it wasn't – when I was doing amazing, I was doing the best financially, but it was, we were doing great, but the spot that I had put myself in that business, I was miserable at. Oh, and then yeah. sold that company just to get my money back and it made some good money on it, but it wasn't like millions or anything. It was mainly to get my time back. 
and then built something for, that was really, yeah, exactly. And then built something that was really passionate and purpose, uh, purposeful about, which is care, and we just love what we're doing. But then, mm. even like four or five, six months, where I kind of sunk in a little bit of a funk again. We're yeah, doing yeah. Amazingly well, we're crushing it. But then, um, I don't even know what it was. I ended up getting out of it way quicker than I did before. But I think it was like, um, yeah, as 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 we were building our team and things like that, I was in this massive learning curve, and I'm like, man, I'm not a good team builder. I'm not good this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And I dove in and started reading, and and you know, I'm, I'm out of it now. This is interesting. But um, we'll get away from that topic here. But in, in, anyone listening to this, if you are an entrepreneur and you kind of are wondering what what it is that you're going through, and you're just in a funk, and everyone around you is going, man, you got it made, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funk. Um, yeah. Just know that it's normal, and just know, like Mike said, surround yourself with great community people. Um, it is normal. You know, I'm in a, uh, a group called EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization. So, uh, we are you in EO by any chance? Man, I, I need to be. I'm not though. Oh, it's the best. So I've been in EO for quite a few years. So uh, we have a thing called a forum. It's a mastermind, right? And it's all entrepreneurs that have achieved a certain degree of sales in their business. And um, I remember going to my EO group after a year of denying I was in depression mm-hmm. just saying i don't know what's wrong with me guys i cannot get out of this and every single it happens to be all guys there's men and women in this organization my group is this guys every single guy in that group had gone through depression mm-hmm. and uh some of the guys uh you know would would use like things like zoloft or other antidepressants and i remember the stigma i had like oh my god i'm not never gonna take drugs mm-hmm. i i end up in this case not um but th- i think now i realize that's a that's an acceptable tool. Uh, I was trying to drug it through alcohol. Um, maybe there's a there's a more productive alternative sometimes to, to at least get you past that stage, yep. so you could sort out. It was so many different negative thoughts. It became confusing. I didn't know what it was anymore. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. I want to I want to acknowledge it's okay. It's it, if you're experiencing it. Someone watching right now. A lot of us have been there. Trevor and I have been there. A lot of people have been there. Dude, and this is a great segue because thinking about the way that I have came out of that, both times it was by simplifying. Both times yeah. is by taking things That's out irony. of my life. So yeah. kind of going uh, you know, transitioning over to the pumpkin plan now. Um, like I guess we, we go through that about every quarter. I mean, I'm not going to say I'll sit down. I'm, I'm officially like bam, bam, bam. Usually right. it's whenever I see my schedule being too much or I kind of am starting mm-hmm. to feel frazzled a little bit. I go, okay, I probably have too much going on. Let me pumpkin yeah. plan. I use that. I say that in my mind, and we say it between the team. It's like, all right, guys, let's pumpkin I'll plan this out. And we'll go through and look at those those big pumpkins. We'll start trimming stuff out. We'll get rid of stuff. And when we do, it really helps me focus on what's best, um, and it yanks me out of those those mindsets. And also it makes things a lot more fun and profitable too. So with the pumpkin plan, man, you've – you wrote the book, I don't remember how many years ago, but you wrote the book, yeah. and I know tons of people have read it. I've like so I've bought it for and referred it to hundreds and hundreds of people myself, and every time that the people read it, they're like, oh my gosh, that right there was what I needed. Why do you think it is that entrepreneurs need that? Why, why do you think it is that we have put way too much on our plates that we end yeah. up needing to trim stuff off? Because I think we have this belief that's objectively wrong but we have this belief that more brings more the more things i do the more successful i'll be and i think how we how i validate it is i look at 
you know, the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine, or I'm looking if I have one on my desk right now, but cover of whatever the magazine is of the of the month, and say, ah, see this guy, he or gal, she does tons of different things. Yeah. Clearly, that's what I need to do. I remember actually walking through the airport this morning. I just just flew in from Nashville, and uh, I think on the cover of Fortune Magazine or Entrepreneur was Robert Hershevik. Well, if you want to be Robert Hershevik, you have to grow an IT company. He's the guy from Shark Tank, mm-hmm. but you also have to be on Shark Tank. You have to be a public speaker. You have to be an investor. He invests in like 15 different companies you have to be. And so clearly by being in all these things, you're successful. And what I realized is no, to you, like a plant, you, you don't just grow the flower. First you have to grow the stem and it has to expand into the flower with all these different elements. Mm-hmm. But we just look at the flower and say, I want a flower. No, we have to pick one thing. Now, I don't know Robert Hershevik's background, but I did study, as I wrote The Pumpkin Plan, tons of successful companies uh, from the, the established ones like Procter & Gamble uh, to um, Microsoft. And like Microsoft, if you look at them, they do so many different things. Clearly, the definition of success is do many things. But the reality is Bill Gates devoted his attention to mastering and delivering on Microsoft DOS, which was the operating system for IBM, grew that to tens of millions of dollars of revenue, if not more, hundreds of millions, before he expanded out. And the lesson is this, that the, we have to be narrowly focused and really grow that, I call it the pumpkin in the pumpkin plan, but grow that opportunity and protect the opportunity by saying no to other things until it can stand on its own, until it's generating significant revenue, until you can walk away and not touch it and it's going. Mm-hmm. Then you can spark these other opportunities. So you grow by saying no. You grow with focus and only once you achieve significant success do you expand out. The mistake most entrepreneurs do is they expand out now and think that diversifying will bring them growth. No. It actually it actually stunts growth. Man, and, and, and we were talking about it a little bit before when I was kind of in that, that, that first funk, like in 2012, 2011, I had so many things going on. It was yeah. I was invested in two software companies. I had my publishing mm-hmm. company. I have real estate. I have the loft entrepreneur. Like I was, you know, we, we had our second child at that time and going, oh my gosh, we've got so much going on. And what you brought up there with when we see other people out there that have all this stuff going on and they, they look like they epitomize success, maybe they do. What we don't see, I've discovered, is we don't see, like you're saying, all the behind the scenes stuff. We don't see right. that Robert, let's say he's invested in 15 companies. You don't see that he probably has one or two or maybe you know, a whole team of people who run that. And he does what he's great right. in it. Um, right. I heard this interview, man. It was a really good interview. And I uh, don't remember the guy's names. But this guy went around and he interviewed his something like, 10 billionaires or um, mm. most of them, there were four, at least four or five billionaires and the other ones were multi, multi, multi hundred millionaires. Mm-hmm. And um, he was trying to find the things that were really common in their lives about with each one of them. And there were several things he found. One of them was, you know, that they worked in seasons where they would go through and just crush it, crush it, crush it. And they'd pull back and they'd rest and they'd recoup. Mm. Um, every single one of them always had a, an offsite retreat that was at least two and a half hours away. You know, you've got Richard Branson's yeah. got the Island and other people yeah. have their lake houses or whatever. And one thing that really hit me during this, this, this conversation he had is he has a, um, a mentor that, um, this guy had started tons of these chain restaurants, huge ones you've heard of, you know, and it was the largest um, and most successful uh, corporation that had more of these massive chain restaurants than anywhere in the world. It was like some big restaurants. 
And he was looking at starting another company. And this guy would sit down with him every week and as a mentor, and he'd, he'd have lunch with the guy who was doing the interview. And the guy said, hey, you know, the billionaire came to him and said, hey, you know, I'm looking at buying this company. I'm looking at this opportunity. And here's the mm-hmm. company. He goes, here's the type of person I need to find to run this company. You know, let me know if you know of this type of person. And so they go their separate ways after lunch. They come back a week or two or six weeks later, however long it was. And the guy who was doing the interview said, he goes, yeah. I asked him, I said, so how'd that business go? You know, how, how was it going? The guy goes, he goes, what business? And he goes, no, well, that one you were crazy excited about like a month ago when we were at lunch. Yeah. He goes, oh yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, um, he goes. I didn't end up buying it because I couldn't find someone amazing to run it. He goes, uh-huh. there's the difference between you know uh, a millionaire maybe and someone who makes it to the stratosphere is you don't run you don't run the business. Right. Um, right. You use right. your unique ability to find those opportunities and put people in place. And as right. soon as I made that switch, I'm like, okay, that's where I went wrong. I was trying to run everything. Right. All these eight, you know, these all these opportunities instead of right. finding the big ones. And then, like you said, building them up to where they're a really good scale so they can run on yep. their own and or bring someone in for it. Yeah. So uh, it's funny. I'm a co- co-owner in a manufacturing business in St. Louis. And uh, I do was actually just presenting two days ago. And someone in the audience says, hey, uh, I, I can't believe you also run a manufacturer. How do you run a manufacturing business? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't run it. Paul does. Uh, he's there day to day. He runs the business. But I give – strategic insights and connections, right? So as as my work grows as an author, I'm able to introduce key partners and relationships. Um, but that was a big realization too, that I, I actually, if I try to meddle in the business, meaning I try to participate, I'll actually damage the business itself. Yeah. So I think we got to put our I got to put my ego at the door, you know, check that one off and try to remove it in order to participate in other types of businesses. Mm-hmm. Dude, so so on the pumpkin plant side, then I want to shift combos to some of the other stuff. I've got some questions. Also, we want to bring up Surge, your new book um, here in a bit, which I'm excited to read that. But on the pumpkin plant side, are, do you go through it yourself every quarter? I mean, I, I know for myself, whenever we create trainings, oftentimes I have crazy good intentions. Right, right. Hey, and this the- is what we do. And we did it at the time. But then six months later or two years later, it's not as in my routine as it was when I made it. Is pumpkin plant still something you're going through all the time? Are you finding yourself getting overwhelmed? We do. No, we do go through it because it's interesting. So all the books I've written, all ref- all complement each other. They all work off the same system. So every single book talks about the quarterly sessions. Um, and I came to realize very quickly when I write a book, the primary reason, honestly, I'm writing it is to fix my own challenges, to address myself. So I need to write for myself. And it's the ultimate accountability mechanism. Yeah. So when I meet with someone, they're like, hey, you, you pumpkin planning your business? I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I mean, it would defeat everything. Yeah. I, I, if anyone has to do it, it has to be me. So every quarter uh, I do uh, – yeah, I do the pumpkin plan, but I also Profit First has a very – specific financial strategy that I do every quarter. And those are all kind of embedded together. And, uh, yeah, and I see the results. There's no question about it. I see the results. I just started a new business two years ago. Uh, as I was writing or conceptualizing surge, we use the surge methodology in every quarter. We're following the plan. Um, that's been written. I wrote about in the other books to grow that business in surge. I want to bring it up now that we'll like, so we'll address it here in a bit, in a bit, but surge is on, Kind of how do you time markets? How do you time trends? Things like that, right? Kind of? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I got a call from a reader maybe four years ago 
um, who had read my books and you know said such kind words, which is like you know every uh, every author's dream. But then after she said, "Oh, I love your books," she then said, "But right," and then it's like, "Oh God, here we go." She goes, "But um, no strategy, no matter how." accurate it is, how capable it is, how simple it is, is irrelevant if our offering, if our product or service is in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the example I like to use is simply the typewriter. But, you know, if, if you and I, Trevor, said, let's go into the typewriter business, like this is going to be a big opportunity. This is not, you know, this is not the time to go into typewriters. Yeah. 20, 30, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe it was smart, 50 years ago for sure. So the question is, what we're offering today, are we too early or too late to the market? Because if you introduce something that no one has the capability to use yet, for example, I uh, met with a company 10 years ago that had invented a mouse that was a glove, and it kind of was like the matrix. You could just wave your hands and do stuff. Mm-hmm. It was way too early to the market. There wasn't, you know, Windows couldn't use that. You could maybe move a point around, but you couldn't swipe screens. Uh-huh. So there was no demand for it. And this guy went for... 10 years prior to that, marketing and pushing, marketing and pushing, and burned through every ounce of capital he had himself, every friend he had because he drained their bank accounts, everything, and just was sticking with it, even though it was not, it was too early. So you can be too early, you can be too late. The question is, how do you get in the right place at the right time? And that's what I started to study after this uh, reader brought it up to me. And the answer is, there is no magic bullet. But you can greatly, greatly improve the odds. And that's what I wrote about in Surge, how to improve the odds. I love it, man. So I want to I bring that up here in a second. So on, let's shift over to the profit first side. And for people listening to this podcast, uh, once again, this isn't a podcast to just go, hey, let's go down Mike's books and let's sell all my right. books. No, it's like they're great resources that I am myself using in my business. And when we're going through and creating the carrot cast, I'm going, damn, what do other entrepreneurs want to do? Um, how have I done it? And let me just bring the people on that are going to help us get better insights. And one of the mistakes that I made um, with my previous two companies actually was we uh, you know, we, we were pretty darn profitable, you know, but we weren't like we we weren't making tons of money. And it was kind of one of those things that we were making we were making good money, but it wasn't we weren't getting wealthy on it, you know. And mm. Uh, when I read the profit first, at first I'm like, oh, that's it's obvious. Like, yeah, you know, we make sure we're paying ourselves. But just the framework you had in there was really good. Then it hit me. I don't remember which page it was in the book, but it hit me when you started to talk about the exit. You know, because that that was that's something when you look at Silicon Valley stuff, mm. they're always mm-hmm. so focused on the exit. On the exit, there's always this investment mm-hmm. money that's in there, and as soon as investment money comes in, you've got to have some sort of an exit, unless your investors are cool with getting distribution checks forever, right? Um, which some are. But um, so as soon as I heard that, I'm like, man, that's true. So e- even at the start of growing Carrot, I didn't take a salary for the first year of the business, not mm. salary, and I took all the money that we had. And I was taking it for self-funding it and putting it toward our team, toward building out the product. And I'm like, you know what? I'll be fine when we sell it. And I'll, I'll, I'll pull, right. the salary. I'll pull like a little salary out once we have a little bit more room. And I read right. the profit first and it was like the next week. I'm like, oh man, he is totally true. So why should I be not paying myself? How motivated am I going to be in a year if I'm not getting paid right. for this business? And there's no guarantee I'm going to sell this damn thing. Right. Um, I don't even want to sell it right now because we're having so much fun. But that was a big mindset shift for me. It's yeah. It's it's shifting it from all future pace to let's make sure we structure the business now so we are incentivized and so we get paid right now as well. I uh, I totally can relate to. It. I call it the Frankenstein formula. The the concept of 
putting profit and our own pay off, off, off. It, it, I think it is just a matter of time before we resent our business. Yeah. You know, two weeks is fine. Two months is that okay? Two years? How about two decades? Are you willing to go, you know, twenty years without it? And um, there's a certain point where we don't have that enthusiasm for the company anymore. Mm-hmm. The the irony is, if I asked you, Trevor, like who's the best employee at your company, or anyone watching, who's your best employee? Most of us will point to someone, one of our employees, say, you know, Joe rocks it. Sheila is amazing, but very few of us point to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, the best employee. In every case I've seen, is the founder of the business if they work inside the business, because they, you know they sacrifice holidays, they sacrifice time with family, they work ridiculous hours, they don't get paid for it, and they're still enthusiastic. Like that's the definition of the most amazing employee on the planet. Yeah. And the person we do call our best employee, if she is sick and needs to take some vacation time and already has used up all our vacation time, we'll still find a way to make it happy because she's that good. Yeah. Or if he says, you know, um, I can't work for a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, I can only work part time for a few weeks to, to do some stuff. Is that OK? Our best employee will accommodate that because we want to retain them. So we'll we'll go to extremes measures to give the best employee flexibility and compensation yet we don't do it for the true best employee ourselves so as i was running profit first and as researching it and then i've been employing in my own business now eight years uh, or nine years is when we pay ourselves first there is a sense of this is what i envisioned the company was designed for financial freedom to pay me but i think most significantly when we start reserving profit first that's the other element. We've got to pay ourselves a salary because for being an owner operator, but we also need to reserve profit, which is separate. That's, that's the reward for having the courage uh, and the ability to start a business in the first place, the equity in the business. That money comes out as a reward to us, but most businesses wait for the year end, you know, let's see if there's any profit left over to take that distribution, yeah. and we don't have it. If we take our profit first, literally as a sale comes in, we immediately take out a percentage and store it away as profit, we are we will be forced to reverse engineer that profitability. There won't be as much money left for expenses. Now you have to figure out how to make it work with what you have left over. Mm-hmm. So it just changes our behavior around money. The, the the end mathematics, sales minus expenses equals profits, the old formula, or sales minus profit equals expenses. It's just, it's just moving variables. It's actually, yeah. mathematically, it's the same, but behaviorally, taking our profit first wins hands down. So, so people who are listening to this, because uh, I know when I, when I first read it, I read it again and probably again. I'm like, okay, you know, because it almost took like a, a massive mindset shift for me to think the other way because we're so ingrained. Yeah. To go, right. Okay, I'm bringing in. I'm just making up numbers now, but I'm bringing in a hundred thousand a month. Um, right. You know, and then we have, uh, let's say, thirty thousand a month in expenses and whatever that leaves yeah. seventy. Which it's going to be way more than that. But that leaves seventy thousand a month in quote unquote profits. Right. So. Right. That's the the main mindset, and p- for people listening to this, you're probably going, yeah, yeah, that's obvious. Whatever's left over at the end of the day after paying expenses is what's left. What exactly. we're talking about is 
is when we do it that way, it's way easier for us to spend a lot of money because we have a lot of money there. Um, it's yes. way easier for us to go and buy all these things and have frivolous um, stuff and not pay ourselves much at the end of the day because we like have all this money in there. Right, and, and we we don't we don't even see it as frivolous, by the way. And and, and I just want to jump in just because you said yeah, the yeah. key word. You said the key word leftover. Yep. See, profit is a leftover, and so we see what's left over. And most businesses don't look at it once a month. Most businesses that I've worked with wait until they talk with their accountant at the year end and say, "Hey, is there any profit?" Mm-hmm. And the accountant looks and says, "Oh, there's a little bit here." And then the entrepreneur says, "Well, where's the cash?" And they're like, "Oh, you don't. This is an accounting profit. You don't really have any money left over." Yeah. And the entrepreneur's like, what the F? And it becomes this kick the can down the road. Now, I think what's critical, and I talk about it, I'm actually, I've rewritten Profit First. I'm re-releasing it next year in 2017. because I've simplified the system even further, and now I have stories. There was like a baseball team, literally a baseball team, that's turned around their entire well, they own two teams now, and they're turning around the league by doing taking their profit first. And there's other stories like this. But here's the core fundamental, and I write about this in more elaborately in the book, is that we have to understand this behavioral theorem called Parkinson's Law. I, I think it's the most important behavioral theorem when it comes to money management that exists. And what it states is that our behavior is subconsciously adjust based upon the supply of a resource. The more available something is, the more we consume of it. And the less available something is, the less we consume, which is obvious, frugality, but also the more innovative we become around what is left over. So when it comes to money, if there's a large supply of money, our mind subconsciously will say, hey, I got money. I can make those investments. Uh, and we don't ever see as frivolous. You know, I can buy a Lamborghini and say, well, listen, that's not frivolous. My clientele will be so impressed by this Lamborghini. Yeah. They'll know I'm hot shit. And they'll buy everything from me. <laughs> uh, that great A space. I need the best office space. So we justify it and never, never feels frivolous. It always feels justified. Mm-hmm. So Parkinson's law, though, states that the less available money we have, we become more frugal, but more interestingly, we become innovative. We find ways to succeed with what we have. So if we take money, remove it for profit, and then work with what's left over, we'll be more innovative. And if I can, I'll share just a story around that. Okay. Apollo 13 that movie, or uh, it was a real event. If you, if you saw, Apollo, did you see Apollo 13? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you notice the scene, the astronauts are, uh, are, are circling the moon effectively to come back to Earth. True story. As they're going through this, the, the shuttle has multiple difficulties, but the major one is the oxygen filters are failing. And they radio down to Houston, and they say, we are going to die within the next 15, 16 hours because the oxygen filters are failing. And maybe you remember the scene. In Houston, true story, the lead engineer calls a meeting of all the engineers, all five of them, the key engineers, takes a box, dumps on the table, and says, we got to make an oxygen filter out of this. Huh. Now, here's the power of that true story. NASA originally spent tens of millions of dollars to create oxygen filters for that capsule. Mm-hmm. And it worked. It didn't work perfectly. Clearly, it failed. But they found a way to get down to $10 million. Then they have to do the same thing in 15 hours with like duct tape, a tube, whatever was on that space shuttle. And they made an oxygen filter. Yeah. The, the lesson is this. It's not 
how much money you have. It's how innovative you think around the resource of money that you have. When you have $10 million or whatever they spent, you will find a way to get the job done and justify it for $10 million. When you have a box of, of parts, your mind kicks in and says, I got to make this work in a way I've never even thought of before. And you actually change the rules of the industry. Mm-hmm. So the greatest irony of Profit First – and this is our estimate. We don't know for sure, but we think there's about 30,000 implementations of Profit First globally now. We do know of about 1,700 affirmed case studies, but we think a lot of businesses do it without telling you yeah. know, us that's going on. So of all this uh, case studies, we find that businesses that implement Profit First are growing the fastest because they're changing the standards of the industry. They're challenging the industry, and the businesses are, are taking off. Dude, I love it. So, so uh, a practical a practical application so let's say there's an entrepreneur bringing in a couple hundred grand a year right yeah and whatever it is that they're doing is there a certain percentage that you say hey take this off the top or is it all based on the company kind of what, what do you do there yeah so uh and I'm not trying to pitch the book, but I am here. It's in the book. It's in, it's in the it book, is. right? It's literally all in the book, guys. So spend the yeah. 20 bucks, 18, 14, whatever it is. Right. Get, Get a used copy for a penny, for God's <laughs> sake. Yeah. Um, but so um, in there, I studied different businesses of different size, uh, meaning revenue under 250000 uh, a small startup, um, or a business doing between 500 and a million, a business doing uh, $10 million to $50 million, and found that there's these fiscally elite companies and figured out their percentages. So, uh, for example, a company that does about a million dollars in revenue, a financially elite company, if I remember correctly, would be doing 10 to 15% of the top line goes to profit. Another 25% or so is going to the owner's pay. Another 15% on top of that is going to reserve money for the tax liabilities of the owners, mm-hmm. which is substantial because most owners pay the taxes themselves. But we started a business for financial freedom. The business should be paying the taxes on our behalf. Mm-hmm. So after you'd run the math, 15 plus 25 is 40 plus another 15. That's 55. That means 45 percent is left for operating expenses. Yeah. And, and this is a, the ice bucket challenge because this is what I'm saying. Your company's took in a $10,000 deposit. You don't have $10,000 to run your business. You have 45 $500 to run your business. Find an innovative way to make it work. The, the, the point I want to make here, though, Trevor, is when businesses try to implement Profit First and implement those percentages I just suggested from day one, it's too too much torque. It's too much of a shift on a business, and you're trying to push profit too fast, and it can hurt you. It could kill your business. So I suggest start whatever historical percentages you've had, and let's add 1%. If you've never had profit before, that's cool, man. 83% of businesses don't have a profit. So that's cool. We're going to now make it 1%. If you paid yourself 10% top line before, we're going to make that 11%. If your business has never paid your personal taxes for you, which probably hasn't, that means zero, we're going to do 1%. And so what we're going to do and then every quarter, and this is what we do at our quarterly sessions, is we're going to review our allocation percentages to these different accounts and build up from there. But the goal here is to lower the bar, start slow and build over time. And, and you guys have a spreadsheet in there and everything, guys and gals. So if you guys are listening to this, yeah. they've literally got it all laid out. The spreadsheet It's going to walk you through it. And um, you guys can hop over there. So I, w- I want to kind of shift a little bit into um, timing markets, right? So we have a lot of clients that are in the real estate market, which, you know, of course, that's a whole animal by itself. But um, what, what, what are some of the most important things you have found that people do wrong when they're when they're going in and, and launching a company or a product. Um, so, yeah. 
the biggest mistake people make is they look for the trend and identify where try to identify where the trend is happening as opposed to identify where you think it's happening and then look for the trend. It's a sequencing thing. It's um, the analogy I like to use is surfers. So I write a, a, a long surfing analogy in the book. I always like to use analogies so we can relate to it. Basically, the goal of surfing is to look for waves that are imminently upon you, waves that are approaching you and paddle in front of it. But the only way to find imminent waves isn't by saying, hey, where's the waves, man? It's like, no, no, what cove are you going to wave in, uh, surf in? Like, you could ask me, hey, tell me, uh, you know, tell me a good wave in the ocean. Well, there's billions of waves happening literally right now. Where are you located? You know, know, where are we going to go? So surfers pick a cove, then they look for waves that are immediately upon them and paddle in front of it. Mm -hmm. So in our business, the, the translation here is look first for the niche, then look for the trends in the niche and try to paddle in front of it. There, there is huge opportunities right now in, you know, electric cars with the rise of Tesla and all the derivatives that are going to come out of that. Um, temperature, uh, you know, the biggest energy consumption for an electric car is the cabin control, mm-hmm. cabin temperature. There's opportunities there. But, you know, there's opportunities in the yarn industry. I mean, literally, if that's the niche you target, there's trends in dyeing going on right now that are significant and an opportunity for us to leverage. Mm-hmm. So you have to pick the niche first and then look for what the movement is in that niche. And every niche, there's always a shift going on. Something is on the rise and something's on the mm-hmm. decline. And you want to catch that and offer a, a an offering, a preemptive offering to catch the rising demand in that niche. And that's 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 a really big differentiation. So, like, so a lot of our clients are real estate investors. It could be multifamily. Yeah. It could be wholesaling yeah. houses, flipping houses, whatever. And what happens is um, the people who end up getting flushed out of the market. They jump on it when the trend is hot. Let's say housing prices are going up. They're jumping in because anyone and their dog can flip a house and make a profit. Right. What they're not doing then is they're not looking at, okay, let's – it's single family houses in Richmond, Virginia, looking at what the trends of that are. And then like you said, okay, let's say the trend is that prices are leveling out. How can we then um, tackle that? and create value and create an opportunity there. Or maybe you need to shift over to multifamily now because because single family is leveling out, but um, a lot of people are going and renting properties now. So you shift over to that to that side. So that's one mistake we see a lot is people stick with the same thing all the time and they're not yeah. looking for the overall trends within that bigger niche. Correct. And, and it doesn't just have to be, for example, uh, geographical. It could be demographical. Yeah. So you could say, you know, what's going on in the Jewish community uh, in housing? By what's going on in the Catholic? What's going on in the gay community? What's going on in the retirement community? You know, and you'll, you'll see that that community um, may have a, a trend going on. What we also need to look for, though, is the early adopters. So back to Tesla, I think this is a great example. If we look at the electric car, if if 10 years ago you and I were said, hey, there might be a trend in electric cars, literally an electric car was a golf cart 10 years ago. Um, we, we didn't see traction there and it's too early to go on and start making cabin control systems or whatever we, opportunities we may see. It's only when the early adopters are moving in a space and we see it growing, do we have a potential trend? And one easy way to measure it is, you know, someone in your neighborhood driving a Tesla. If if no one is, uh, probably not a trend. If if you're starting to see it, and now Tesla has affirmed it with, I think, 400,000 orders for their the new next model, clearly the electric car has traction. There's all these ripples that are coming out that we can jump on now. But 
as a comparative, people are like, well, hey, what about the autonomous car, the car that can drive itself? That's a new trend, right, Mike? Not yet. It, it, it's an opportunity. It could become a trend, but it's not imminent. And the simple question is, you know, who in your neighborhood has an autonomous car? Yeah. No one? You know, there's no early adopters have taken it. Yes, there's research going on. Yes, Facebook and Google are investing tons of money in it. But if I, as a small business owner, try to jump on this opportunity and offer something that's complimentary, there isn't enough demand to support that. It's it's a little too or a lot too early. Look for imminent waves or the easiest ones to ride. So is is your is your leaning to kind of let the big guys with the big budgets? You know, they're they're going to be the ones who try to create the trend, like the autonomous car. You've got Google. You've got Everyone, all those big companies trying to create that trend. Um, so are you saying let, let those guys invest all this money in creating this trend? Let me make sure we research the market to see when it actually is a trend. And then I'll jump in and go, how can we best serve this trend that these guys in the big pockets created? Correct. I call them tsunamis. And uh, in the surfing analogy, a tsunami is not surfable. People say they surf tsunamis. It's actually impossible. The wave is so big, there's no uh, what they call pockets. There's no moment where it actually pushes the surfboard forward. It's just this big up and down. Um, and I would argue even the big players, like Tesla is not riding the electric car tsunami. They are doing a component, they're making the end product, but someone else is manufacturing the engine, perhaps, I actually don't even know that. Someone else is making the navigation systems, so they're actually combining the things. So the autonomous car, or the electric car, for example, is all these different elements. I, I know Tesla is moving into all the autonomous car, but I suspect Tesla is outsourcing or working with a company that makes the autonomous navigation system. Yep. And that's not necessarily true. It's not an industry I'm interested in to that degree, so I don't research it. But if that's what you're interested in, you look for the individual elements that make it up. So we see this movement going on as validated by big companies, but they, big companies are typically a amalgamation of all these different elements we just need to be an element that's one i love it so guys and gals go check out the surge you can find it on amazon uh pumpkin plan profit profit first i've got a few questions for you Uh, i know we're running short on time here and there's a few things i'm always really curious about high achievers and what they do and i always like to kind of borrow some of the best from what they do uh you're obviously pretty damn prolific uh, in writing books. And that's one thing that I just have a really tough time. I want to write a book. It's on my life list. And it's kind of one of those things where it's kind of one of those things where it's like, when I do X, then I will write the book, right? Right, right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And I've got yeah. a friend who uh, he works in my entrepreneur co-workspace here. And he sold a company when he was 29 for 18 million bucks, lost a bunch of money similar to you with bad investments, <laughs> just yeah. sold his last company, which did 58 million, a tech company, just sold that in February. And he's, awesome. he just finished the book. So he had the same problems. Like, I was trying to figure out what's right about next. So that's a question there is how do you identify what you want to write about for your market? Um, and I'm, yeah. it could be a book, it could be whatever, but how do you identify what is really going to strike a chord in your market for your avatar? So it's really easy. The first element for me is is first purpose. What's the impact I feel compelled to have on society, the world, and in what way? So books to me is a great vehicle because I can impact people that have never met me, may never likely ever meet me or even talk with me, but I can have an impact on them. So it's very scalable. So that's what's compelling to me. And uh, my life's purpose, I have a clear life's purpose. I am on this planet to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. I've lived it. There's this facade of success and this this stressful, messful shame of failure behind it. And I, I'm out here to fix that. Then 
to answer your question very directly, then I go to the community that already I'm already trying to have an impact on and say, how can I serve you best? What's the biggest challenge you're facing right now? And for me, readers to come back and said, listen, I need to automate my business. So uh, pumpkin plan helps me grow it. Profit first makes it profitable. Toilet paper entrepreneur makes me resource resourceful. Uh, you know, surge. I know where, how to get in position, but I, I can't do all these things. Kind of the thing we're talking about. Like, I can't run all these different businesses. How do I s- just do the one thing I'm good at and empower others, people, or other things to do the process? So that's what I've been researching, and I, I'm finding something that's pretty fascinating. I think it's going to be a very unexpected approach to automating our businesses. I love it, man. I'm not there. I got some, I'm actually starting to test it in house and seeing some positive results and some some calamities that were saying no, okay that's that that part's not right that part's not working. So when so. when you're writing a book, another question: when you're writing a book, what tools do you use? Like what are the ones you just absolutely cannot live without? Uh, a super super light and cheap laptop. So uh, my here's my kind of my writing bag. So this. I just got off an airplane. That's my best writing. Um, I actually have something due to my publisher tonight, so I was writing. But this is my cheapo, uh, literally a $200 laptop. It's a Lenovo Lenovo or something. Um, But here's – I'll show you some other things. Um, Every writer, I think, should also have a portable keyboard because when you really start getting into it, you have your hands cramped up. And this is a foldable – you know, I don't know if you can that's hear cool. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. And it's also ergonomic, so I can twist it and spin it. Huh. So that's – yeah, that's a big, big element. Um, I don't use dictation software. Uh, I don't use anything else except for a physical notepad. Mm-hmm. I, I used to say, oh, I'm just going to dictate things. But when I write it, it forces me to slow down. And as I'm writing, there's more thought going into it. Um, so that's it. It's Word on a laptop and that little split up keyboard and I'm and a notepad. And I'm pretty happy. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. So besides <laughs> your books, what's your favorite book right now? Um, I just I'm reading the uh, Charles Duhigg's book. It was not the Power of Habit, the new one about productivity mm-hmm. and the name. It's like it's like do fast or something. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's on my Kindle. It's a great book. Um, and then I always read a behavioral psycho- behavioral psychology book. So influence and and all these other books. But I'm reading these because I've read so many of them. I think I've read like 40 of them now. I'm reading ones like no one's heard of. I just completed the persuasion slide hmm. uh, by one of my favorite authors. His name is uh, Roger Dooley. Okay. And you know, it's one of the things you buy for a penny on Amazon. Yeah. But what I love about this book is it takes all different persuasion and influence and marketing techniques and actually shows you how to take it from point A to point B. So it's not just the, the tactics like, yeah. oh, use a larger font. Oh, don't say this word, say that word. It says how to actually use that to slide or move along a relationship from inception to completion. Gotcha. And I see in your bookshelf back there, I see predictably rational. Uh, I see the yeah. science, science of influence. Um, the Guy Kawasaki one, I've got that one on my shelf too. Oh, Enhanced right, Enchantment. Yeah, those are all they're all influences. I don't know if you can see this one. This is the Go Giver by Bob Burr. Oh, he's one of my favorites. One of my favorites. Yeah, the Go Giver, man. Like, awesome. I actually uh, had the great fortune of sharing the stage with Bob Berg uh, about a month or two ago in Florida. First time I've met him face to face. And he is truly a go-giver. He is the definition of his book. The nicest human being on this planet. Like I, after meeting with him, I'm like, I will do anything for you, sir. How may I serve you? <laughs> he was that 
it was that great. Dude, so last question for you. And this is one thing at, at Carrot, you know, the past three years, I've just so embodied and this has made business amazing is really having that passion, having that purpose that is beyond the product. So you hope the product serves that need and, and is that tool that can help you build the platform. And that's kind of the way we're looking at Kara is we love our software is amazing. Our support's amazing, but I'm not all that excited about those. I'm, I'm excited about how do we create the tools that are so damn useful for our clients that mm. they help us reach our mission. Um, but that build, help us build this massive platform that'll help us get our message out to more people so we can make the biggest impact we can make. And you already mentioned what your impact is to eradicate. I don't remember all the words. I started to write some stuff down. Um, if, if, if you yeah. were to, if you were to write part of your own eulogy, um, ahead of time, like what is it that you would want to, to, to be in there that you'd be known for? Um, I think, I hope the opening line, whoever says it says, uh, something like, so Mike wasn't, wasn't a dick. Uh, he was pretty, he was pretty good guy. Like that, that would yeah. be funny. Yeah. And I think, um, I hope also, by the way, when I'm buried, it's an open casket, but not with my face. I want my feet sticking out <laughs> to say I went in head first. <laughs> and then I want to be known that at least at least one on a small scale at least one business after i pass is still affected by my books and it changes them around because i i've realized that the impact that i've decided to have for myself has to outlive me uh and that's my dream um on the big scale my dream is the statistic I hear is 83% of businesses are not profitable. They're surviving check by check. I want to flip that. I want 83% of businesses to be consistently profitable, posting quarterly profits throughout the globe. That's my big, hairy, crazy dream. And I I can't see that being accomplished in my lifetime, but I can see that being accomplished. So I'm hoping I play a part of that in that role. Dude, I love it. You won't have any problem having at least one business be affected after you're gone, man, at all. All right. I, I I ain't going anytime soon though. All no, right, I, I plan to be. <laughs> no man, you've got forty more books. In forty, easily fifty. <laughs> so, but uh, man, I really appreciate you, uh, appreciate you joining us on this call. And everyone, listen to this. Make sure, and I'm not just saying this because he's on this call. Literally, you've heard it on our mastermind calls. You've heard it in person. Uh, anytime the people bring up, hey, what are your top several books that have impacted you? It's always Pumpkin Plan in there. Profit first, depending on who I'm talking to and what 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 mood I'm in that day. But go out there and get Pumpkin Plan and. Um, and get profit first. Go check out the surge, just like I'm going to, and follow the people out there who are who are going to help you in the spot that you're in in your business right now. You know, Mike helped me in a massive area in that spot that I am, and we're still where I was, and we're still using those tools. And now we're tapping into other brains that are going to help us scale up our business to where we want to go. And if Mike and his thoughts can help you where you are in your business right now, help you scale it, have you help you have more profits, have more fun in your life, have less things you're working on but more meaningful. Please go check out Mike's stuff, buy the books, and refer them to other people. Mike, I appreciate it, man. I know you got to go. And Thank uh, you. This isn't our last combo. Have a great. Oh, All right, better not be. Take care, brother. See you, man. So how the heck did you enjoy that conversation with Mike McCallowicz, the author of The Pumpkin Plan, Profit First, and now The Surge, and I think uh, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur as well was his first. Um, I know I crazy, I enjoyed that like crazy because Mike's resources are, are ones I have been personally implementing in my own businesses for past three, three and a half years. 
And the funny thing is, oftentimes the simplest concepts can mean the most to your business and life because they're easy to understand, they're easy to recall, they're easy to implement, they're easy to tell other people about. And for me, that's the way that the pumpkin plan is. So next time you get overwhelmed in your business, Next time you feel like you're working your ass off but not making as much money, not getting the fruits of your labor like you thought. Next time you find yourself banging your head against the wall with problem clients, um, what you need to do is you don't need to double down on that. You need to pumpkin plan it. Okay, you need to go through. You need to go through the, the pumpkin plan book. It's 15 bucks, whatever it is, guys. You guys invest the time in yourself to go through and read that if you're in that mind space where you feel like you're busy all the time. Busy is not good. Okay. If you feel like you're busy all the time, like your schedule is crammed with stuff, like you're working your butt off, but just not making a ton of headway on the profits and the lifestyle and the happiness and the stress level that you want in your life. Okay, you need to trim and the pumpkin plan is going to help you do that. And then next, make sure in your business you're paying yourself first and go through those computations that that uh, Mike lays out in this in this conversation but also in the profit first book. Go through those computations, pull out the profits first in your business, then work with what is left over. Okay, that makes sure that you are operating on on um, a lower budget, makes us more innovative and more frugal, and uh, we end up keeping more of the money and actually innovate better because we're not wasting money on stuff. Okay, so go through, pay yourself first, pay your you know get your taxes all set aside first, all that kind of stuff, and then run your business on what is left over. I can guarantee you it's going to be an amazing shift in your business life and go buy the books go to amazon find uh, pumpkin plan and profit first in the surge check them out give them a read and give mike a great rating if you enjoyed the books and also if you enjoy our if you enjoy this podcast guys and gals the way that we know that we're doing a great job is with the ratings and reviews so please hit us with emails um you can hit me with an email personally at trevor m on carrot.com or you know hit us on carrot uh, the best way to do it is go to your iTunes or to Stitcher or to Google Play or to YouTube or wherever it is that you watch this video or to listen to this podcast and give us a rating. Give us a review. Okay, the ratings and reviews are huge on helping us spread our word, spread our message to more entrepreneurs just like yourself so we can help you make your greater impact and do more of what makes your heart sing. Because like Mike said in this, in this podcast, way too many businesses, way too many entrepreneurs have this amazing ideal in their mind for what entrepreneurship is going to do for them, what being a real estate investor is going to do for you. But what ends up happening is the vast majority, 80% plus, end up diving in and being miserable. They're not making the money or profits that they thought they would. They're not being intentional and and passionate about what they what they're doing like they thought they would. And it's not because entrepreneurship is something that that is just for a select few. It does take a certain personality, but you have to go and implement the right frameworks, follow advice from the right people so you can structurally, so you can intentionally build your company in a way that's going to give you profits, that's going to be amazing for your bottom line, that's going to make amazing differences in this world, provide amazing places for your team to work, okay, and help you fulfill your mission in life. So go out there, crush it this week, guys and gals. We'll see you on next week's episode. If you have not listened to other episodes of the CarrotCast, Make sure you listen to our previous episode with our special guest, Martin Bonesire, who is one of the most active investors in Phoenix, Arizona, is also now up in Michigan, closing many, 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 many deals per month. 
former Olympian, but he shares a tip that is helping him close more deals in the Phoenix market in a crazy competitive market out from under other investors, even though he's making offers that are lower than those other investors. If you want to find out what Martin is doing to close deals and get deals when other investors are making offers higher than his, go check out CarrotCast.com. Find the episode with Martin Bonesire. Take a listen. I think you're going to be amazed how simple it is, but how little, um, how, how few of you guys listen to this call and your competitors will actually implement what he does. So check it out at CarrotCast.com or find it on iTunes. And last thing, if you want that amazing resource on inbound marketing that's going to help you grow your leads, grow your business leveraging the web, uh, all you have to do is pick up your cell phone right now and you're going to text this word to this phone number. Text the word CARROT to 38470. Uh, once again, the word CARROT to 38470. And we're going to send you that resource. It's, it's going to be a video, amazing the action plan guide and some resources are going to help you grow your business grow your leads leveraging the web better through inbound online marketing get that free resource and we will see you on next week's carrot cast thank you guys and gals 